Hello, thank you for tuning in to the Outstanding Ohioan Show. Today we have episode 75 with Coach Matt Kramer. He was on episodes 25, 26, and 27 way back. And uh, we'll kind of circle back to what we talked about then a little bit and then talk about what's happened since then. Coach, welcome to the show. Coach, welcome to the show. Hey, it's good to be back, Ron. It's always, it's always fun to talk, especially since um, nobody has anything else to do right now, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's the truth. That's the truth. Uh, when we first spoke, we one of the one of the big things we talked about was was your book. Can you can you talk a little bit about the yeah. book and the impact it's made on your career and the connections you made? Sure. Yeah, I mean, the book um, obviously was a project that you know that I, I undertook with uh, with my co-author Randy Montgomery, who's recently retired with his 600th win. Um, you know, and it was a situation where Randy was doing a lot of mentoring with me as a young coach back when I first started, that's how it's kind of started. We, we started emailing back and forth, uh, you know, about leadership ideas more than anything else. I mean, there were some X's and O's that went with it too, but a lot of it was just program building and um, the importance of relationships and, you know, and, and really re reaching out as a program and, you know, being a part of the school community and the community at large. And, you know, the way that the book started was is that I, I, I kept all those emails. I, I'm a pack rat, like most coaches are. And I would hard copy them and I had them in a binder and I would leaf back through and read them. And in the back and forth, I thought, you know, there's an idea here. There's no, no, no high school coach has really written a leadership book. A lot of, a lot of college coaches have done that sort of thing. And they're, they're great, obviously, like for our, for our profession, you know, as high school coaches, it's so different than what a college coach does on a regular basis. I thought there might be an audience for it, um, you know, and being an English teacher and, and always kind of, um, aspiring to, you know, to write an extended piece like that. I gave it a shot. You know, it got some traction. Um, it was published and it's, it's done really well. Um, you know, I, as I was writing it, it was, it was weird because, um, you know, and I, I may have said this last time, it was kind of like, it's kind of like having a really close friend. You know, you spent time with it every single day. Um, you know, and I, cause I did most of the writing. Randy's not a writer. You know I mean? He gave me his ideas and I carved his ideas up and wrote his side and then he would revise and edit and tell me what to fix and tweak and things like that and um, you know five years later we had a book and the hardest thing for me of that book was letting it go and, and and turning it over to be published because coaching is such a changing environment you know what I mean that, that you know ideas have changed you know even even my ideas since then there's a lot of things that you know are foundational ideas that will never change but you live and learn um, the more you go on so um, you know, we did publish in 2012, and I honestly, when I turned it in, I, I never thought anybody would buy it. You know, I never really thought about it in those terms, but people did. Um, you know, it's not something that you retire on or anything, but it's a nice royalties check that it's sent to us, and um, it's done well. And it's, it's, um, you know, it's really allowed me to connect to people like you, you know, quite frankly, and to do things like this, and um, you know, to continue to branch out and network and continue to really learn more than anything else. That's the beauty of it. Um, you know, anytime you share your ideas, it opens the door for conversation. And some of the conversation it's led to has been, you know, incredible with high school coaches around the country. But it also landed me in Georgia with that job where I was coaching a nationally ranked program. And it connected me to people in the business like Mike Dunleavy Sr., who was 30 years in the NBA, or, you know, Mike Bray, who was the head coach at Notre Dame, or Tommy Amaker at, at uh, Harvard, um, you know, and, and some of the other coaches around the country that were recruiting my players down there. So it, it definitely opened up some different paths 
and led to some interesting things. And that's kind of what brought us back together here today. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's uh, great. So before we go into how you ended up there, where are you currently and, and what you're I'm doing? right now I'm at Wilmington High School. Um, you know, it's 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 over there on Route 71 between Columbus and Cincinnati. It's kind of its own little world. Um, that was an opportunity that opened up last spring. Uh, athletic director Troy Deals and I got together and we talked about the possibility of my moving from Columbus back down in that area. My fiance um, lives here in Troy um, in the Dayton area. And so we're commuting an hour from Troy to Wilmington every day. Um, we're, we're getting ready as her daughter graduates. Her daughter really is a senior at Troy High School. Uh, she's getting ready to graduate. And as she graduates, um, you look, actually, you're, I'm down in the basement right now. This is one of my projects that, that I've been doing. I'm sure that you've had a few of those too. Or uh, We're getting ready to list the house. So we thought that the basement was finished, but we thought put some new carpet down there and painting it would be a good idea. So I've, I've been a painter since uh, the schools have been on hold i've taken up a second career but i'm not paid for it um you know, i'm doing this pro bono work for my fiance so that's where i'm sitting right now and so um, our plan here is to when once lily graduates and this hopefully this pandemic comes to an end we can list the house and uh, you know and, and move into a situation where we're a little bit closer to work so um, after my first year there uh, we were we were moderately successful this year i thought we had a good year uh, we were we finished the year six and two um, after we, you know, we had a, a rough spell there in the middle of the year, like a lot of times happens with a brand new coach, but we ultimately finished second in the league. Um, we lost the championship game to new Richmond, um, finished a game out of first place to them. And I had the co-conference player of the year and a kid named Cam Coomer. They had a really good second half for us. And um, he's a senior that, that, um, that, that really just blossomed in, in our, in our system and kind of maxed it out and ended up getting co-commerce player of the year and special mention all Ohio. And I got a kid on that team named Matt Butcher, who's a six, six wing who made 72 threes for us last year. who was only a junior who's coming back. So we got some good young players there. Um, the biggest problem we had there this year early was that we, we had two kids that were really good varsity players and a bunch of other guys that, that were in that you know, in major league, they call it four uh, a, you know what I mean? We were talking about baseball players. It's that guy that can really kill it at AAA, but he's not quite ready to be a major leaguer. Um, we had a lot of those kids in that area that were sitting between that JV and varsity level to where if you put them in a JV game, they would really show out. But in a varsity game, they just weren't there yet. So, you know, early on, we kind of struggled with that until some of those guys grew up. But once they got it, we became pretty good. And um, we have a chance to be pretty good in the future. Here, I think. Nice. Um, so from the last time we talked, when you were in Georgia, t tell us a little bit about that experience because you were certainly at high level, getting a lot of attention on your program and your kids. Yeah, it was an it was an amazing opportunity. Um, you know, went down there to take that job, and my book was actually what opened that door up for me. Um, it was a gentleman named Dennis Felton, who at the time was working for the San Antonio Spurs as their pro personnel director. Um, was in that program and so what happened there was Milton High School in, in the North Metro Atlanta area in Georgia reached out to me through Dennis um, he was leading that national search to find a new head coach there because they had they had been playing a national schedule and they wanted to keep that they wanted to they, they wanted to find what they felt would be the best program the best coach for the program obviously and um, you know I, I didn't really know anything about the program when he reached out to me I was just honored to have an opportunity to talk about it um, you know to be given an opportunity like that is flattering um, you know, we looked into it and the kind of players that were there, I thought it'd be, you know, it was just a good time in my life to take a flyer on that. 
um, kind of a leap of faith and go down there and see what it would be like to coach those kids. Um, at the time I went down, I had two players there that were the sons of Mo Lewis, the New York Jets linebacker, 13 years. Uh, Mo actually has become a, a dear friend of mine. I got to know him really well. He actually – talk about lucky. I mean, you get an opportunity to to have a retired NFL veteran who, you know, who earned a great, you know, a great deal of money in the, in the NFL world, um, didn't need to work anymore. And so, you know, kind of just volunteer work, he, he became our strength and conditioning coach. And his two sons, uh, Chris and, and Mo, a little Mo, he said a little, he was six, six and a half, and, <laughs> you know, 235 pounds. He looked like an NFL linebacker himself when I coached him. Uh, those kind of players. You know, and then did a nice talk with Mo. And, and Mo's an interesting character, like for anybody who's watching this, if you want to Google Mo Lewis, if you don't know his story, uh, Mo Lewis changed the course of the NFL for 20 years. Um, he's the guy that, if you look him up, is it most known so. for knocking Drew Bledsoe out. <laughs> That's that right. Put Tom Brady in the game for the first time. Um, and he's not necessarily thrilled about that. You know what I mean? He did a lot of other great things in his career, but that's the thing everybody always wants to talk about. So if we're sitting there watching an the NFL game, because I always had the direct TV package down there watching the Browns, He'd tell me, don't put a Patriots game on. Don't put the Patriots on. Because, um, you know, that was that was kind of his claim to fame. But he had a, a borderline Hall of Fame career. And yeah. coaching his two boys was incredible. Um, his, his oldest son, uh, Mo, uh, Scholarship Naval Academy, um, he was being recruited by the SEC, ACC. He had some Power Five offers. But he was a, kind of a, a borderline kid at that stage. And, you know, his dad was big on, you know, looking out for the next 40 years, not the next four. And so Mo went to, to the Naval Academy and played basketball there. And his oldest son, Chris, was an ESPN top 20 kid. He was a 6'10 power forward for me on that first team, one of those first three teams that I had down there. And Chris had scholarship offers from every school in the country, you know, save a couple. And Chris was an interesting character because he was one of the few kids that I've ever coached that would have rather been in a physics lab than in the gym. And so, and I'm not, that's not an exaggeration. Um, his dream was to go to MIT. And so that's a really unusual, uh, I guess, combination for, a, for an athlete at that level, for a world-class athlete. And so you know, what happened is he eventually shunned the Power Five conferences and took the offer to go to Harvard. And so he played for Tommy Amaker there at Harvard for four years, and he just obviously finished up his career in a really disappointing way because they were hosting the, the Final Four there because uh, they don't have a conference tournament. They pick the top four teams, and they have a, a four-team tournament to, to see who goes to the NCAA tournament. And this year they were hosting it, and, you know, they won the regular season a couple years, but they got knocked out in that tournament, and they really thought this was going to be their year because they were all healthy, and, uh, you know, they had a chance to make it, and they obviously it was canceled. You know, I kind of felt bad for him because he never got that opportunity, but he had a great career. He actually broke, he actually broke the record at Harvard for blocks in a career um in in february which is a you know to tell you what kind of a player he was a tremendous defensive player in, in high school and college a very unselfish kid a good passer out of the post he's a kid that could score you 25 um but but typically wouldn't shoot enough to get to 25 points um be more like 17 points 12 rebounds eight blocks um and the great thing about the two Lewis brothers is when I, when I coached in Georgia, Jalen Brown, who was the number two overall pick in the NBA draft a couple years ago, was in our conference. So we were playing him twice a year the first two years I was down there. And we beat him. Um, and one of the reasons was is because the two Lewis brothers could guard Jalen a little bit. Um, 
you know, not stop him, but he didn't go berserk on us like he did some teams because I had an athlete um, or two to, to throw at him. And it allowed us to have some success against them, which was one of the really fun things that we had a chance to do when we were down there. So, you know, there were kids like that. Um, player, uh, we, we made the um, 2016 Final Four down there. Uh, was was um, in my last year there. Uh, in in Georgia, that's, you know, that's you mean, you're playing some people. It's like Ohio. I, and there are some differences. And if you want to talk about the differences in the, in the two states, there definitely are. Um, but the talent level at the big school level down there is ridiculous. So, you know, we made the final four. Uh, we had to go – and they don't – not everybody makes the playoffs down there. So you have to make the playoffs, top 32 teams in every class. And, and then they seed you, uh, you know, according to, you know, however you fell during the regular season. So, uh, you know, in our, in our second-round game, which would have been the Sweet 16 game, we had to travel to Tiff County. They hadn't lost a home game in three years when we went down there and played them. And that's like right down there in the river, Florida and Georgia. So it's a five-hour drive, essentially, from Atlanta um, down wow. there. Um, had to go wow. down, stay in the hotel overnight. You know, it was late February. It was like 82 degrees down there the day we played them, so the gym was hot. And there were 4,500 people packed into that little gym because it was the only game in town. And, um, you know, we beat them. We were down two, and I had a kid hit a buzzer beef to our bench, three-pointer to, you know, to send us to the Elite Eight. And we eventually we made the Final Four. And, uh, lost a close game to Colin Sexton, who was obviously a lottery pick, uh, drafted by the Cavaliers. Um, Colin's backmate on that team was Jared Harper, who was the final four-point guard for Auburn uh, last year. He was the, the kid that kind of led that charge. and um, So it was amazing. You know what I mean? It was an amazing ride that we had down there. Uh, my, my second best player besides Chris Lewis, who was a senior on that team, uh, just – entered the transfer portal from Duke. Uh, Alex O'Connell played at Duke for three years, and he's going to uh, – he's currently in the transfer portal right now um, just trying to find a situation where maybe he can max out the last year of his college career a little bit because at six foot seven, um, you know, a guard who is close to a 40-inch vertical leap, he's got a he got an outside chance still of being drafted. So um, he's looking at some schools. Dayton being one of them right now. He's kind of got narrowed down to, so we'll see where he ends up. But – yeah, it was an opportunity to coach players that, you know, quite frankly, I probably wasn't going to coach anywhere else. And so, you know, it was an amazing, you know, three-year run down there. And, uh, you know, some things in my in my background, my family life kind of brought me back here um, to Ohio. And um, it was just kind of time. So um, that's where I am right now. Going to that caliber of school, how did, what do you feel were your biggest areas of growth to deal with? athletes of that caliber and develop them? That's an amazing question. Um, you know, what I really learned down there, and I learned this from Mo, um, Big Mo, who you played in the NFL, uh, you know, he, he was the guy that kind of told me, Coach, I love your Midwestern ways and, you know, working hard. And you know, one of the first things Mo ever told me about his kids and coaching his kids was this, don't tell me what they do well, Coach, tell me what they don't do well. Um, you know, I, I want to push them to be as good as they possibly can be. So it wasn't about pushing them. Um, I was a guy that maybe pushed a little bit too hard on a daily basis. And I know that that might sound kind of soft and it might be, oh, you know, oh, coach, you sound like you're giving into the day and age. But, you know, I learned down there that athletes, there's only so much they have to give. Um, and if you look now at what the colleges are kind of governed by, there's a certain number of hours that they're allowed to practice every week. And there are a certain amount of days that they're allowed to practice in a row. 
and then they have to take a day off. And the reason for that is, is the health and, and the recovery of those bodies. And for me to, to really learn how to manage those athletes, um, you know, when you're 6'10 and 245 pounds, a lot of effort goes into a two-hour practice. Um, no different for, from, from a guy, you know, our size that, you know, obviously we're putting a lot of effort into that too. But the recovery is a little bit different. And then you look at it and you step back and, and you, and I, what I re- learned to realize there was sometimes less is more, um, you know, sometimes rest trumps work, um, you know, especially when the work has really been put in. And the, the biggest thing that I had to learn as a coach there, my learning curve was to know when to push, you know, and when to pull off the gas a little bit and, and, and allow rest. And there's a real fine line there. Um, and, and, and you really have to listen to your players and you have to watch your players. And with a kid like Chris Lewis, who obviously was Harvard bound, um, you know, he's super bright and he was never one to back out of work. He, he'd work to the death if that's what you asked him to do. When he's tired, I learned to listen. And if he was telling me he was tired, there's probably a pretty good chance the other kids were too. So. You know, that was one of the big things. Um, you know, obviously I had to adapt as well because here in Ohio, before I went down there, I'd never coached a front line that had 6'10", 6'9", 6'6". And I had two teams where that was the case. My final four team had Chris Lewis and it had Alex O'Connell went to Duke. We also had a kid there named Kyron Galloway who was a 6'9", stretch forward who scholarshiped at UNC Greensboro, and he started there for three years. Uh, if you look at UNC Greensboro, if you Google their recent history – their tournament team most years. They played Gonzaga in the tournament last year, two years ago in the first round, and they had the lead on Gonzaga a year that Gonzaga went pretty deep um, with about five minutes to go in that game. And Kyren was a big part of that. So, you know, I obviously had to adjust my system. A lot of my, you know, my two, three high, you know, sets where we had the floor all kind of spread out and everything else didn't necessarily fit those teams well. So, um, you know, I, I, I sat down – I had a chance to sit down with guys like who recruit my players and and pick his brain on how to, to you know how to install offense you know and defensive philosophy for that matter that utilize those kids skills the best they could um, you know when you when you have six nine six ten they're both shot blockers protecting the rim your perimeter guys can gamble a little bit you know there's some things that you can get away with out there that you know that that, that make you know make open some things up for teams they think they're getting someplace, and, and if the end result is one of my guys in the, you know, Kyren or Chris banging that thing off the backboard, that's a great way to start a fast break. Um, and so, you know, there was some system things that I obviously adjusted, and I reached out to some people that were smart, and I trusted the people that, you know, that were my assistants down there as well. Uh, you know, and eventually we, you know, we built a system that, that really fit those kids well, and we, you know, we flourished down there. And it was, like I said, you know, making a Final Four is um, – in a lot of ways, it's a career validating in ways um, experience. You know, I never felt like I had to do that at any point, but, you know, it, it helps, you know, to be able to say, yeah, that's something that I was able to do. Um, and it was certainly a great ride. Um, you know, and again, I, the people that I met down there, I've continued to make contact with. I, you know, I still reach out to Coach Dunleavy on a pretty regular basis. Um, and he's great because he's retired. You know, again, now he was at Tulane there for a couple of years, and that's really how I, I got to know him because he was recruiting players. Um, they didn't end up going down there, but I spent a lot of time with him, you know, away from that. And, you know, if I need something, I just I just shoot him and say, hey, Mike, you know what I mean? We're having a really hard time in this situation. Give me something. 
he doesn't have anything else to do if he's not on a golf course someplace, which he is a lot of times. You know what I mean? I get a text back, and it's a phone call from him, and, you know, we're, we're X and O. And, you know, those are invaluable relationships, obviously, to make because, um, you know, that's basketball royalty. And I think anytime you can connect with that on any level, it's, it's, it's a good thing for your career. And so um, that's one of the little side perks that kind of came out from, from, from me being down there. The other thing that was cool is his son, Michael, um, was traded by the Cavaliers in the – what would it have been? It would have been the, been the winter of 2017. So he got traded to Atlanta. It was the Kyle Korver trade that took Korver to Cleveland. Mm-hmm. And yeah, Mike uh, Sr. was doing some work on NBA TV then, and that their networks were there in Atlanta. So he would fly in. He'd, he'd do a spot, you know, I mean, uh, playoff pre, pregame stuff, you know, whatever the case may be. And one Sunday morning, he calls me up. He says, hey, would you like to go see my son play today, right? Well, I mean, like normally if a friend of yours calls you up, you're going to a youth game somewhere, right? <laughs> I'm going to the Hawks game, you know? Nice. And so, you know, he was able to, you know, to do that a few times. And, you know, my son's got to go and, and uh, you know, sit in the family section, get down on the floor and meet people like Dwight Howard and, um, you know, some of the guys that, that were playing for the Hawks at that time. And um, just cool things that, that came out of it that, you know, that you would never expect. Um, but just things that, that, you know, experiences that I'm really grateful for having a chance to have had. How long were you there? Uh, four years. Yeah, okay. four years. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. now you're back. So you, you come back to Ohio and you're, were you in a, was your pro, how would you classify your program when you came in? Was it in a rebuilding state? Was it in a, a good place? Where was At it? At Wilmington? Yes. Well, it's funny because came back, um, I, I wasn't necessarily looking to come back. I, I was kind of just, I went through a divorce, um, you know, to be 100% transparent, and it was very difficult on me. And my family's in Ohio, um, and I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do next. You know, honestly, you know, I had to take a step back, and that's the reason I was Milton. I needed to take a step away and kind of just line up my priorities again. And I, I don't think I'm the first coach that's ever had to, to go through that. Um, you know, life happens. It's not always the journey you plan, but sometimes, you know, the, the journey gets a detour, and, you know, it's what you make out of it. Um, there was really no way to, you know, to get around it. And so um, I was sitting there in my apartment in Georgia one night, and, a guy, a, a guy that I'd worked for when I was in, in Ohio before um, I went to Georgia, became a superintendent at a little school district called Liberty Union in the Columbus area, um, Baltimore, Ohio, kind of near Lancaster, uh, Pickerington area over there. And at the time, I, I, wasn't, I was out of coaching. Like, I knew I was going to be back in, but I, I didn't know what would be best. I didn't know if it was best to get right back in. I didn't know if it would be best to try to get back into Georgia. Um, you know, I was really kind of had my heart set on stake, taking a step away, um, for a year. And then he reached out to me and said, listen, I got an English job and, uh, and I need a basketball coach. Would you be interested in coming to Columbus, Ohio? And so I, I really wasn't at the time. And I had a great conversation. I was like, yeah, I really don't know. Uh, I don't think so. And he tabled it with me. And it was like, right after he had the opening had been created there at Liberty Union. I don't really even know how it happened. I think the coach resigned. I didn't never, I never really even looked into it. I just know they had an opening and, you know, as life kind of went along for me, the, the more that I thought about it, the more I thought, you know, maybe I'd explore that opportunity. So 
you know, I came here to Ohio, which is where my fiance was living at the time. We weren't, she wasn't my fiance at the time. And we drove over there and I thought, you know, this reminds me a lot of Fairless, which is where I started. I, I, you know, I think maybe this might be a good thing for me just to get back to my why here. You know what I mean? To, to remind myself why coach. Uh, you know, listen, we were in Georgia and we flew to tournaments. Like the, my first year down there, we played the City of Palms Classic, which is the most prestigious high school tournament in season in the country. And we got down there, you know, we played against Ben Simmons. Um, you know, Montverde Academy, we, we won our first game in that tournament. And the next afternoon at one o'clock, we were playing against the number one team in the country. And, you know, Ben Simmons was on that team and D'Angelo Russell was on that team. And the big seven foot six Kamaji kid that was at Florida State was on that team. And their eighth player on the bench was a Duquesne commit, you know, full scholarship <laughs> kid whose name I don't even remember because he didn't play that much. And so I mean, those things were all really, really cool experience. And I'm sitting here and had it chance to to do those things and talk about them with you and you know to be on the floor and to compete against those athletes um, you know and to match which with some of the best coaches in the country quote unquote was an honor and a privilege but it's not really the reality of it for a high school coach um, and when I say that you know what I mean these these college coaches are making million dollar contracts for those things and fly around and a high school coach is doing those things and they're still getting a high school contract and so your why can be distorted pretty quickly when you when you fall into okay we're we're you know we're flying to this tournament we're staying in this hotel and all those things it's not really reality for high school basketball I don't care how good your players are and when I left Georgia you know that job in Georgia those were the things that maybe I was a little too focused on and I thought Liberty Union was an opportunity to get back to remembering that it's about serving kids you know it's it's not necessarily about you know, playing the number one team in the country. Those things are fun, but it's about serving the kids in your program. It's about, you know, it's not about being the Metro Atlanta coach of the year, which, you know, that honor was bestowed upon me because my team went to the final four and I had great players. It's about being the coach of the year in your locker room all the time. Um, you know, that's really the goal. And when those other outside awards come as, as kind of a, a byproduct of, of being the best you can to serve your kids every day, then great that's not really what it's all about. And Liberty union allowed me to kind of get back to being a high school coach, um, get back to a place where those relationships were the most important thing um, to where I was serving a community on a greater scale than just being a basketball coach. And I think a lot, a lot of what we talked about last time, those relationships and how when my dad was a coach when I was growing up, um, you know, the lasting impressions that were made on me are that, that those kids were like his family. And I mentioned Butch Reynolds, who he coached, because Butch was one of his players at Archbishop Hoban. You know, Butch and my dad were reunited when I asked Butch to come speak at my tip-off dinner this year. And when they see each other, there's still tears and hugs. That's really what our job's about. Um, you know, and again, I'm not, I'm not trying to diminish what we did in Georgia, and I've got some great relationships with some, some kids that were down there. But it's different. You know, Ron, it's different. Um, you know, and, and if you have a question that, you know, that you want to ask specifically uh, about, about how it might be a little bit different, I'd be glad to approach that. But I was excited to get back to my roots as a coach. And so I took that job at Liberty Union and I really, really enjoyed it there. Um, you know, the problem at Liberty Union was, and, you know, and I hate to say this too, there's also a business side to this. And I wasn't, I wasn't making a living that I needed to make there to continue to provide for my children. And, um, and so I had to, 
when when the job at Wilmington opened up, you know, make make what was a business decision at the time, and it's become a really good decision for me professionally and personally, um, you know, to make that jump to Wilmington. So that's kind of how my path has moved. You know, the cool thing about Liberty Union was in my second year there, they hadn't won double-digit games in 20 years. And my second team started 1-6, but one of the games, you know, we lost to kind of get a frame of reference for what that 0-6 looked like was again was in double overtime at Sheridan. And Sheridan made the Final Four last year. So, like, we were playing a Final Four team on their floor and losing in double overtime. So, like, it was a pretty good team. We just hadn't pieced it together yet. And I had a number of really young players. And after that 0-6 start, when almost all of them were close games against teams like Bishop Reedy and Worthington Christian and, I mean, some pretty good schools, you know, we, we hit our stride and, and we ended up beating Bloom Carroll for the first time. And that was our arch rival since 1995. And that was our first win. And so, like, after we won that game, in front of a full gym because it was a rivalry game. People really picked up on that team. And we ended up, you know, winning 11 or 15 games, which I thought was one of really maybe one of the accomplishments that I'm most proud of in my career. Because I think a lot of times when a school starts, when a team starts on six, you can talk about turning it around all you want, but you, it, it, it's rare where you get it turned like that. And, um, you know, the way that that team finished – you know, I was really proud of that. Um, and so, like, I feel like, you know, business-wise, I, I had to leave that situation, and it was really, really hard. I mean, there were a lot of tears shed there, um, not just from player to coach and coach to player, but my administrators there were great people. I love them. I mean, I was friends with them. They kind of understood. Um, you know, I, I'm proud that I left that program in better shape than I found it because I think that that program had a pretty good foundation when I took it. So, uh, you know, Wilmington was Wilmington was not – was not a bad situation when I took it because when I took it because uh, Coach Novska, who took the job at, at Xavier, had done a pretty good job there building the program. They had the two Cumberland kids who are at the University of Cincinnati, um, and they made the Final Four in 2016 at Wilmington. Same year, my team made it at Wilmington. So there was a little bit better foundation in place when I took that job. Not necessarily from a talent standpoint, but just you know that there was something in place there that. There was some, there was a place there was a place to start, um, and and so you know we we're we're maybe a little bit further down the road at Wilmington after a year than we were at Liberty Union after a year, but um, you know it's it's been a weird it's been a weird path for me. Um, so like as I was walking down here to you know to connect with you, I thought this could go a lot of places. You know what I mean? <laughs> Just because um, you know my career has been a lot of places here in the last few years, and you know, one of the questions might be, well, is that unsettling for you? you know, I don't want to move again. You know what I mean? Like I, I'm pretty happy where I am. And I, you know, the first year is always the toughest and we've established some good things there. And I think there's some great things coming down the, the pike here at Wilmington. And um, really what I'd like to get back to is what I was doing at Ferros. And my fiance and I just had this conversation, you know, upstairs. Um, no regrets, but like, if there's one thing I wonder about in my past is what would have happened if I would have never left Ferros? Because after eight years there, I'd established a program that had a way of doing things. Uh, you know, we, even, we just called it the fearless way. And kids understood what they were getting into when they got into the program and they believed in it. Um, there was a community that really supported it. Uh, you know, there were businesses that, that, that sponsored us. Uh, we were active in the community, in community service. We were, you know, we were, we were having success. And the program really mattered in the community. And that's, that's really the, the biggest thing that, that – um, you know, that I strive to
to get back to in my career, you know, as, as I hopefully, hopefully lay some roots and, you know, and finish it up, whatever that looks like for the next, I mean, I feel like I could still go forever. I think I'm a lifer, you know, 10, 15 more years. I don't know. Um, you know, I'm 50, but I feel like I'm a young 50 hairstyle aside. Right. <laughs> um, you know, I, I still think like there's a lot of great things to do out there. So hearing you talk hearing you talk about these experiences, it, it's my words, not yours, right? But it's sure. it, it sounds like in Georgia it was big time external attention grabbers. I don't know if distraction's the right word, but yeah, a Absolutely. lot of <laughs> and it, it seems like it's and scaling back's not the right phrase either, but you're you're more it seems like now coming back to Ohio, you've got more of the, the focus on the classroom and the basketball and building relationships with the kids in the community. Yeah. I mean, being a high school coach, I mean, a college coach are different. Um, you know, and I flirted with the idea of, and had a couple of informal discussions about taking a basketball ops job at a college and trying that route. Um, what a lot of people don't know about that route is there's no money in it when you get started. You know, it's glorious. You know, I mean, it looks like a lot of glamour and things. And if you're the head coach with that contract or his top assistant, it is. But if you're starting at the ground level, it's not. And, you know, looking back, if I'd had those opportunities when I was 30, I probably would have jumped and taken them because there was time to climb that ladder. But the fact of the matter is you make a better living being a high school head coach at this stage in my career than you do taking that step back. And there's a lot of uncertainty with those jobs. Um, you know, two of the guys that I talked to about the jobs got fired at the end of those years. You know what I mean? And if you look back at that retrospect, had I gone further than flirting with that and taking that jump, you know, when that head coach gets fired, they don't keep the basketball ops guy around or the low level assistant. He's gone too. And now, you know, now you're, where, where, where are you? Um, so yeah, you, you hit the nail on the head. Distractions is um, – let me talk about that. In Georgia, my first open gym that I walked into, the first guy I saw when I walked in the open gym that wasn't one of my players was Tubby Smith, who at the time was a Texas Tech head coach, He Texas Tech head coach, and he'd won a national championship at Kentucky. And I looked next to him, and there stood Mike Bray. And, you know, as I looked around the gym, you start naming some coaches in the ACC and the SEC, they were there. And if they weren't there, then their assistants were there. And that was an open gym. And that's a really cool thing. You know what I mean? Like, I was overstimulated. I won't lie to you because I watch TV too. You know what I mean? I've never been in the room with a lot of those guys except for if I've seen them in a clinic. And now I'm making hands with them, and I'm having an opportunity to, you know, to build relationships with them, the ones that got serious about my players. And there's some beautiful relationships there. May is one of the really – top-notch human beings I've met in my life. Forget basketball. Uh, Mike Dunleavy, I've already mentioned. Mark Fox, who's at Cal now, um, after Georgia let him go, he's, he landed out there. He's a terrific guy. I do great things out there. We're talking about some really high-level coaches. And that's awesome for the kids that are being recruited. But it's a distraction in that not everybody in that gym is being recruited. You see what I'm saying? And what happens is it turns into a dog and pony show. And then you mix in the parent aspect and a parent wants to try to understand, well, if that kid's being recruited by Duke, how come my kid's not being recruited by Duke? 
You know, is it something that you're doing, coach? Is it because he's getting more shots than my kid? Is it because he's playing the position my kid should be shooting or should be playing? Um, and, and, and you got a whole set of variables there that you don't deal with at places like Fairless. Um, you know, there you get the normal playing time deal and, you know, and all the other stuff. But, like, it's hard to explain to a, a parent that, listen, your kid is a great high school player, but it's six foot two with his athleticism and his skill set. Duke is not going to offer him a scholarship, and it's got nothing to do with whose dad I like better. And that's a hard thing to make a parent understand. Um, and so a lot, of, a lot of times what you see is some selfishness that doesn't necessarily exist in a basketball family that is high school-oriented like one at Wilmington or Fairless or Liberty Union. Does that make sense? It does. Um, and that can, that can be really frustrating. Um, and, and so like a compare-contrast, when we made the Sweet 16 at Fairless in Division Two in 2007 on a buzzer beater in district championship game that, you know, is, is, is still a video that, that goes viral with all my people every year I push it out because we still celebrate it on March 10th every year. It was a community accomplishment. You know, I mean, it galvanized a, a community of people. Um, and, it, and it made a lot of people feel a part of something that was bigger than the individual. And when we went to the regional that year in downtown Canton at the Civic Center, we, we played in front of 6,000 people. And I walked out of that. I don't know if you are familiar with that arena or not. It's where the Canton Charge is. So it's a, it's mm -hmm. an arena. I mean, like, you, you can go see a concert there. And I walked out of that locker room and looked off to my right and saw the section that was set off for Fairless. And it wrapped around from one basket all the way around the bowl to the other basket. And it looked like someone had built us an arena in downtown Canton. And it was something like my skin it still makes the hair on my arm stand up when I think about the moment we walked out of that locker room. And the standing ovation those kids got every time they did something that night, including when they walked off the floor for the last time after losing a one-point game to a great Cleveland Benedictine team and being that close to the state tournament here. And, and the feeling that there was in that locker room, those kids did not want to take that jersey off for the last time. And some of the other things that were going on, including the tears that were shed in there and the, law, and the lifelong relationships that were built, that no amount of flying to a tournament in Florida could ever replace. And to, to compare that to, to, to what went on in that locker room after we lost that Final Four game in Georgia in 2016 to Colin Sexton, I don't want to diminish that because Alex O'Connell, who played for me and, and was at Duke for three years, and Chris Lewis, who played for me, who just gave Tommy Amaker four great years at Harvard. Those kids were they, – they were Milton kids. They, they had their heart and soul into what was going on there. And they hurt in that locker room afterwards, okay? But that whole locker room didn't hurt the way that that locker room at Fairless hurt. And that's the difference. Mm -hmm. And – I'm not saying that one is better than the other, but if you ask me my preference, I would take the locker room at Fairless. Uh, and, not, and not because the individuals in that locker room were better kids, because every kid in that locker room in Georgia was a beautiful kid. There wasn't one bad apple on that team. They just weren't invested as much in the name on the front of that jersey as kids are who grow up in a community together and, and go to school together and play together all those years, multiple sports, and struggle through the tough times together, and have to work through those tough times to achieve that great time together. Um, it just wasn't quite the same. 
And, you know, again, no hate, obviously, in either direction. I wouldn't trade either experience for the other, but you said you can only have one. I'd take the experience of Fairless, even though the one at Georgia was the Final Four. And that's what I said when I referred to earlier as, you know, externally a Final Four validates a coach's career in a lot of places. I don't, you know, that's fine if that's the case, and a lot of people have told me it is. But, like, to me, the things that happened at Fairless were validation enough because what we built there was special and it was long-lasting and it was sustainable. So that's kind of how I answer that. And I hope I did. Any other questions you asked, I mean, I think it's a fascinating, it's a fascinating concept. Yeah, it's I, – I had the chance to coach – junior high basketball eighth grade girls this year and uh, working for a head coach Mary Jo Hoosman who's coached varsity for 48 years she uh-huh. just won her, won her 700th game this year and uh, it was something I didn't expect and she asked me in August if I would be interested in it and you, you've, you've talked about the why and you know a couple, I, I call it the, I call them the drugs of coaching is, uh, I, yeah. you know, I, I've got kids, two boys. So I've, I've been coaching their baseball and basketball teams for the last several years now. Uh, sure. the number one, the number one drug is just being, is working with the kids every day. It's if, if people aren't in, if people haven't done that before, it, it's hard to explain, but you know what it is. And, and then, the second drug for me is just seeing the improvement during a season and the fact that you've done something, you've had something to do with that. And, and I told this story at the end of the year banquet, and I, had, I hadn't even told our players this story. Um, but our, it was our second scrimmage right before the season started. We, we played a team that I, I don't know what their record was or, or what they ended up with, but – in, in the first half, it was one of those games where the the talent gap was so different that we couldn't even get the ball over half court. <laughs> and we were just throwing the ball away. We weren't getting shots right. at the basket. Yeah. Hey, listen, at that, le- that, at that level, that's reality, right? And then, yeah. and then in the second half, we made some adjustments. And I knew we had something – because we hadn't even worked on it, but we just talked about we got to screen a little bit more to get people open. And we, in the second half, we we only lost. We we lost, but it was closer. So so we we play the scrimmage and we lose by I think we lost by forty points. And in the coach at halftime said, "Do you want us to do anything different?" I said, "No, we need this." And so. Then the team in our league that we, we ended up losing to three times, they, they were undefeated. They played this team that walloped us in the scrimmage, and they beat them. So, you know, so you, you start having some context. So the first time we play this, this team in our league, we get beat by – I think we got beat by 28. Second time we played them, we got beat by 10. And then we lost in the, in the conference tournament by nine. Well, you know that a nine-point game and a ten-point game is pretty close. It's really just absolutely. A few, it's just a few plays either way that that could. It's a yeah. It's a minute of basketball, is what yeah. it is. And and it, yeah. and it it was and 
and what I told the kids at the end was, I mean, and I know you're big on developing shooting and I, that was kind of the message that you've got to make shots in the off season, but the way that we improved our ball handling just to get shots at the basket and not have silly turnovers and layups and breakaways and, and those kind of things besides the relationships, that was the most gratifying thing for me just to, that we could be competitive when two, three months earlier, we weren't even in the same gym caliber wise. Oh, I, I mean, that's, I mean, that, that's the drug of coaching and, and it's above wins and losses. It's the relationships and the relationships. If you can develop those kind of things, it, it, it's, it's addicting. Right. And it's a, it is, it's a drug. I mean, it, it, people that have never coached really don't understand that. And it, you know, you want to avoid saying that because it's got such a negative connotation, but like you, you do, you know, you do know that that high is out there. You know what I mean? It, 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 you know, it is a reason to, to continue to work hard, um, you know, and it's, it's, but it's better experienced with a gym full of kids that really, really care about it, you know? Yep. And, you know, here in, in Ohio, the programs that I've taken, the, my biggest challenges have been developing players who are good enough to get there. In Georgia, my, my biggest challenge was making kids who were really talented believe that it mattered, if that makes sense. Um, you know, and, and, and to that team's credit, it did. You know, it got there. But like it – and I, I think the AAU kind of mentality is so rampant now. And those kids who are being recruited on a high level or the ones that are trying to be recruited, you know, buy into that, you know, that, that whole circuit of I'm going to play three games today and it doesn't really matter whether we win or lose. It's about how I play because there's going to be three more games tomorrow. And, you know, what happens is, you know, I've never been wealthy, but it's kind of like the wealthy person loses track of the value of the dollar. You know what I mean, there's a, there's, a, there's a finite number of games that you play in a, in a real season where winning and losing matters. and the biggest challenge there was getting them to getting them to understand a game mattered. You know what I mean? We, we went, we would go like, we went my first year, we went to the Arby's classic in Bristol, Tennessee, and we played against Christ Presbyterian Academy coached by Drew Max, who graduated from Vanderbilt. He was a player. There's great player there. Really good coach. They'd won 39 straight games and two straight state championships. We ran up against them in the Arby's classic in the semifinals there. And I don't know what you know about the Arby's classic. If you ever get a chance to, to go watch some of these events. The City of Palms was, was, an, was a prestigious one in that every, you know, Oak Hill Academy was there. Montverde Academy was there. Arby's had some of those teams too, but Bristol is different than Fort Myers. They're, they're the only game in town except for the racetrack in Bristol, which I didn't even know existed because I'm not an NASCAR guy until I got there, right? So their biggest event, or one of their biggest economic you know, for their community things, the Arby's Classic, this high school, you know, tournament that Nike sponsors and brings teams in like us. And, uh, you know, we had some guys that had some star power, so our name was drawn, but so did CPA, Christ Presbyterian Academy. And we met them in the semifinal there in front of about 6,200 people. They packed it in that night, semifinal night. Uh, we played the second game, and it was, it, was an, it, it was one of the more incredible things I've ever seen as a coach, as far as being on a neutral floor, we didn't have anybody there that cared about us. You know, we had a group that started to follow our guys because they started to like our guys. We had some 
interesting little side stories there that, that were going on with the recruitments and things like that. But like it was just a, a neutral floor. And long story short, you know, we did CPA that night. They were ranked like seventh in the country at the time. We weren't ranked that highly in the nation at that point. And we went on a 26 to one run in, in the first and second quarter from the middle of the first quarter to halftime. They'd won 39 straight games and two straight state championships. So like, you know, we beat them. And then we came back from that trip where we'd been playing teams like Mont Verde and CBA and went back to Georgia and lost to a regular high school team because it didn't matter. You know what I mean? Those were the things that drove me crazy. And it was just like, you know, I couldn't get them to understand. You know what I mean? Yeah, there's another game, but we don't play another one today. And I don't understand why, you know, this game wouldn't have been just as important to you guys, if not more so, because now you got a, a local team who can save you. You just made their banquet speech, you know? And so the, the biggest challenge there was trying to get those kids through that mentality. And, you know, it was a good team we lost when we came back. I'm not, you know, obviously no disrespect. They were a good team. But, like, they didn't have any biz beating my team. So, you know, Coach of the Year awards sometimes aren't all they're cracked up to be. I feel like I coached better in a year than that year. Uh, but those are not things that, that, that people that don't coach understand. You know what I mean? They don't understand that that – you know, today, that's that's five, six years later, whatever it is, and that, that loss that I just talked about still is stuck in my craw because it should have never happened. And I didn't deserve a Coach of the Year award. In my mind, I deserved to be fired. We should have lost that game, you know? So th those were the, the, the differences and the challenges. And, um, you know, it, it just – it was very different. Um, you know, the other thing is, is in that Fairless locker room I was talking about, those kids didn't want to leave. I mean, they were hugging, you know, they were crying. And they didn't want to leave that locker room. It was a, it was a thir it was Thursday night, and we had school the next day, and it was state testing week. And you know, we, they, you know, by the time we came out of that locker room, there were, you know, there were the janitor was waiting for us to leave. He wanted to go home. And in the in the locker room in Georgia, some of the kids were like that, but I felt a couple of them were more interested in when their AAU workout was the next day. And I had two point guards that were both low to mid-major recruits. And they were both great kids separately, but they couldn't get along together because they were – and I could have played them together. I tried because, you know, we were so big at other positions that I could have gone small. And they would have complimented each other well, but they felt like they weren't competing against the other team. They felt like they were competing for the same scholarship. So they were against each other all the time. You know what I mean? And it was – that's a hard thing. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? That's a hard thing. And, and – um, you know, obviously that's a different challenge. Um, you know, and some would say, oh, well, yeah, Coach, I feel really bad for you. You got two right. Division One recruits that are point guards. You know, you know, the, you know, you know, cry me a river. Listen, I get it. I don't feel like – I don't – you know, we made the Final Four. I'm not winning. You know, it, well, you should have, Coach. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I agree we should have too. Um, you know, Colin Sexton's the reason we didn't win the state championship. I mean, I, I said when the Cavs drafted him – and I told a reporter after that game, I thought he was a lottery pick. And at that time, he hadn't been thought of that way. And, you know, they kind of shrugged their shoulders and were like, yeah, whatever. You know, it's because he just scored 37 <laughs> against you guys. But, like, he destroyed us. And it didn't matter who I put on him. I mean, like, I had kids that had a certain amount of success guarding Jalen Brown. When Colin Sexton, who has the ball as often as he does, starts making fadeaway 27-foot jump shots in a high school game, that's a wrap, uh, you know. So like, yeah, I mean, I, I don't feel, I, you know, I don't feel sorry for myself. It was, a, it was a great year, but there were some challenges there that, 
that I never would have seen coming until I actually experienced it. And I'm not saying it was horrible, but I mean, I kind of prefer the ones that I have doing what I'm doing now to that, I guess is what I'm saying. I feel like as a high school coach, I can make a more significant impact doing what I'm doing now than, than, than doing that. Um, and man, man, I, I almost feel bad saying that because I love a lot of those, you know, a lot of those kids. I still, and I talk to the, you know, to the Lewis's pretty regularly. And I've been in constant contact with Alex since he went to, into the transfer portal at Duke, trying to help him reconnect with some of the coaches that recruited him around the country when he was, you know, in high school. And, and I'd do anything for those kids, but like just the overall feel um, in, in the way that kind of my life, I think is supposed to go. I feel like I'm, I'm doing more of what I'm supposed to be doing where I'm doing it now than when I was doing it then, if that makes any sense. Your four basketball jobs that you've had at Ohio, Fairless, Canton South, Liberty Union, and Wilmington. Sure. How are you – they've all been rebuilding situations to some extent when you've come in. How, sure. how are you better as a coach today going into that situation versus your first or second time you went through it? Yeah, I'm more patient. I mean, that's a, that's a great question. Um, I think every young coach, when he gets his first job or she, um, feels a sense of needing to win and have success. Because if, if we're going to be honest with each other, the, the, uh, the mindset that, that trickled down from pro basketball to college, where if success in two or three years are going to get fired, it exists in high school basketball today. And if you don't believe that, all you have to do is pull up the Ohio High School website and look at the open jobs and then trace the history of those jobs. If you go in there today, there's, there's three of them in there right now um, because every now and then I just look because I have friends in some of these jobs that have been open twice since I've been back in Ohio. Hmm. And, and it's because the coaches there are, are not, you know, are not winning games, you know, a lot of times. And that's wrong. You know what I mean? Because in high school, we're dealing with a different set of variables. Um, you know, at Fairless, I was fortunate. I took over a program that, you know, that looked from the outside like there weren't players there because they had just graduated a slew of kids off of a pretty successful team and didn't have anybody back. I mean, like you couldn't find a kid on a film when I took that first job. Couldn't Unless you saw the bench. Um, like there were no – but I mean, we were picked dead last in the two newspapers, that, that, that the Canton Repository and the – the Times reporter that was, I think, out of New Philadelphia down there. I mean, just, you know, no disrespect. First-year coach, new coach, no players returning, dead last. But what they didn't know was that there were some kids in that program that were hungry that had come up through that program that were ready to make their own legacy. And I got lucky. You know what I mean? Um, the, the league was down a little bit. Um, we weren't as bad as anybody thought we would be. There were a couple kids there that – achieve beyond what I even thought they would achieve. We got a couple breaks. We had a couple balls bounce our way. We won a couple games on buzzer beaters, and we ended up losing the de facto league championship game in triple overtime that year. It was still one of the greatest games I've ever coached into this day. And I didn't have a clue to what I was doing, Ron. I mean, just honest. I mean, I thought I was darn pretty darn good at what I was doing. You know, coach of the year in my first year in the conference. You know, this, this gig is pretty easy, right? Very lucky, you know. Um, very, very lucky and, you know, not really the reality of it. Um, the next year we, you know, we had some of those kids back and we were really good. Um, we were a state ranked team. But then after that, 
was a major fall off because after those first, it was the third year there, we were pretty good. But that, that fourth year, what was coming behind the kids that I inherited at the high school level were back-to-back middle school teams that combined to win one game in two years, like literally seventh and eighth graders that two years back-to-back combined to win one basketball game. And there's no coaching around that in a public school. You know, you can't go recruit a player to fill a gap. You know, when you lose them all, that's, that's when reality strikes that, you know what, you're not as wonderful as you think you are. And I was very lucky because I'd fallen into some success there that, that maybe nobody saw coming and maybe, maybe that made my administration there a little more patient with me through the tough times than they would have been and allowed me to, to kind of rebuild my own program um, in a manner of speaking. But, you know, but what I have learned is because when I took the Milton job, I, there was a back to this, where I got to have success because we're, we're a nationally ranked team or, you know, we're going to play this national schedule and we're supposed to be competing for state championships here. Um, and I just learned that that's not the way to do it. You know what I mean? It's, it's about patience. Um, you know, I've learned to be patient. I've learned that everything, you know, kind of has a natural course that it needs to take. And yeah, you can expedite that summer, you know, speed it up with hard work and a vision. But like this year at Wilmington, we, we had two darn good high schools and, you know, a third one that was, was, was a, was a decent player who was also a football player. He's more of a football lacrosse player who also played basketball that would give you some intangibles. And then after that, we had a bunch of guys that just weren't ready to play varsity basketball. So there's two ways to go with that. You can freak out and you can hammer them into the ground and browbeat them and practice every day tell them what you want them to be, or you can look at it for what it is and develop players, you know, develop the culture that you want, you know, and allow them to, to grow into it. And if I had had to do this year, what I, what I was doing, you know, say when I was in my first year and my mindset and my mindset at Fairless, I might not have been able to do it, but just all, everything that I've been through, whether it was immediately successful or whether it took some time, you know, Patience was the key to all of it. You know, it really was. You know, any any impatience on my part to where I became overbearing and practice wanted to practice three hours instead of two, you know, or try to 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 you know, right, you know what, it's been three hours, but we still haven't gotten on what I want to get done. Let's go more. Uh, that would have never worked, um, you know, with with what we had to go through this year. And so like I don't even go there anymore. You know what I mean? Like I, I would have you know what I mean, back in the day. And it's just, there's way more, there's way less likelihood that I'm going to start yelling and, and put a bunch of kids on the line to make them run sprints when they're not doing what, they're, what I want them to do as quickly as I want them to do it. And there's more, more likelihood for me that I'm going to be a teacher in those cases. You know what I mean? What do I have to do to break this down? What do I have to do to make you understand it better? Do we have to walk through it a couple times? Do we have to take it up to three-quarter speed? Um, you know, how much explanation do we need? Let's see it on film. And I just think that I, I you know, I'm better at that aspect today, um, you know, than, than maybe I would have been, you know, 20 years ago, given the same situation and circumstances. But it's a great question. I mean, I reflect about that all the time. Right. We're on it. We're in what I would call uncharted territory right now with the coronavirus. And you're obviously trying to do, get some off seasons. Yeah, obviously some off-season plans for your program. How are you navigating this situation right now? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I encourage kids to do what they can do on their own. Um, you know, the biggest thing with my guards has been, you know, get a basketball and dribble it. You know, you know, you, you have a you have a stationary ball handling routine. Um, you know, work stationary ball handling. If you've got a goal, get shots up. Um, you know, what I mean, I mean, kids are going to do those things on their own. They don't need a coach to to you know to tell them those things. Um, you know, right now, I'm kind of leaving it up to them. Um, you know, I haven't really pushed too hard. I think that there's a fine line here between what's appropriate and what's not. You know what I mean? I, I, I get a sense that, you know, there's bigger things going on out there right now. And basketball is a release, um, you know, from from the, you know, the, the obvious. I mean, we say stress. It seems like, well, how can you be stressed if you're home all the time? Well, you know, you're stressed because you know there's things that you could be doing, should be doing, want to be doing, and you're not able to do them. But, like, this is real. You know what I mean? Like people are getting sick. I mean, there's people dying from this. And, and like, I just think there's a real fine line between, you know, a lot of fire and brimstone about get your butt out there in the driveway and work and work and work, work. And balance that with, you know, do what you need to do to, to be close to your family and the ones that you love, um, you know, and, and what's safe for you to be doing. You know, because there's so much out there still about this that I think that we don't know. I don't, I don't want to push a kid or anybody for that matter into to a place where you know where they contract this thing and you know and that I was somehow a part of that you know I, I and it's not just that it's like there's just there's just more important things right now you know and I think whether you you know you look at it from a spiritual standpoint you know we're talking about God but you could be an atheist and see the message here you know what I mean symbolically some of this has told us it's time to maybe recalibrate our priorities you know, I mean, this has given us an opportunity to reset some buttons and say that maybe some of the things worldly that we were all caught up in aren't as important as we thought they are. You know, mm -hmm. maybe it, this this is about, you know, assuming you do believe in a, in, in a spiritual, you know, being that it's a message that we're supposed to rekindle, you know, and nurture some of the relationships that we've neglected um, because the worldly things have kind of gotten in our way. And so I'm trying not to, to mess with that too much. Um, if that makes sense. And, you know, my belief here is that when this thing starts back up, it will go, we'll go back at four, you know, and, and there'll be a renewed sense of enthusiasm. And there always is when you restart anyway, but like, it'll be exponentially greater. And there'll be something there that we can really tap into, um, you know, and, and really make something, you know, special out of something that was difficult. Um, I'm not in any hurry to do it right now. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's not because I don't want it. I just don't, I just don't think that it's right right now. And I'm not judging somebody that, that feels a different way. That's just my personal opinion. It, it's been amazing to me. And, and I, I truly hope that people are joking when they say it, that when you see on Facebook and these kind of things, oh, I'm trapped in the house of my family all day long. I, I thought that, this was, I thought that's the best part of this. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, where, you know, my, my boys' teachers are sending their schoolwork home and we're doing it together. We're looking at it together and I'm watching them and just, I, I just get to be in awe of the things they're learning and we get to be together and we're, we're going outside and we're playing basketball in the driveway together. Uh, I, I, I like your mindset that it's an opportunity for some things that, we haven't had a chance to do, or maybe we got away from it. I, I think that's a great approach. 
Uh, I mean, it, it has to be, you know what I mean? I, I think a lot of things on Facebook are funny. You know, I was joking around. I think I may have even joked around with you. A couple people asked me, can we talk? And I've said, yeah, you know I mean, please save me from my fiance <laughs> right. who's found, you know, two different rooms for me to paint. I'm sitting down here in the basement right now. That's my paint job in the background. You know what I mean? I, I go to work down here and we're, like I said, we're getting ready to list the house. We got new carpet and everything else. I painted the bedroom upstairs and, um, so I think we're joking around about things like that. Um, you know, it gives you an opportunity to, you know, those are things that I've been putting off since, you know, the fall. Yeah, I'll paint that this weekend. And then, you know, the football game ones that I want to watch and I, you know, I want to do that. And then practice starts and I don't want to paint. So, like, I, I didn't have any more outs, uh, you know, with that. I think that's what people are joking about more than anything else. But it's, it's, it's been nice to, you know, to, to kind of reprioritize i guess you know and the other thing is if like, there's any grudges that you had before this thing started sit down and ask yourself if any of those are important right now you know what i mean it, it makes you wonder you know why you know why was there any animosity there i mean like it just doesn't seem like anything that was aggravating before this happened is aggravating anymore um so like i said if there's a if there is a positive that comes out of a negative and you want to look at it from a spiritual perspective i think that that those relationships are, are really it uh, you know and you know when you we got a lot of time to think you come you come up with stuff like that but i and i try to you know, i try not to pay too much attention to negative people i mean we can all get sucked in from time to time it's human nature to want to argue a little bit but like one of the things i've learned over the years is that you're, you're not going to get on a chat room with somebody whether it be facebook or just some random chat room and change the mind of a negative person you know, they're on there because they're negative. And you'd argue with that person, you'd really just give them what they want. I know it sounds like, well, you know, that's what everybody always says, but it's true. Um, and so I try to read positive things on there. You know what I mean? And there's there's some different people on there that, that, that have some positive spins on this. And then the medical side, I don't know anything about. So I don't listen to what, you know, people are saying that, that don't have the word MD next to them. You know, I, I, I'm going to listen to a doctor. And if the doctor says I shouldn't be out doing this any other than, you know what, I prefer to not be sick. So I'm going to listen to that. And, um, you know, that's kind of the way that I've approached it. And, yeah, I mean, it's boring from time to time. But, you know what, we're finding things to do. And they're productive. I've got a notebook right now. I'm calling my virus clinic. Um, you know, and I've got, you know, I've got a great network of people on, on social media sites and around the country. Where I try to pick one thing every day. You know, whether it's a clinic on this free coaches clinic or just something off of Twitter, it's an action that somebody's shared on there. And I, I put it in my, my clinic book. You know, it's my virus clinic. And, um, you know, obviously you don't use all those things. Like I had somebody ask me the other day, well, you know, you got all this stuff. You're talking about X and O's. You're going to use it all. Well, no. But like, there's two sides to the ball. You know what I mean? Like to, to understand what other people are doing offensively makes you a better defensive coach. So, you know, there's some amazing things out there in basketball that, you know, there's some, some real cutting edge stuff. And, you know, I've had a chance to learn, um, you know, I'm trying to make myself better, you know, with the understanding that when this thing does relent, that we are going to have to really get to work. And, you know, I, I want to make sure that I've got a definite plan when we hit the ground so that we can hit the ground running, uh, you know, and be organized with the way that we're going to progress. Sounds good. Uh, to kind of wrap up, what are what are some ways that listeners could connect with you and what, what's your recommendation for the best way to get your book? Yeah, right now we're struggling with the book. It's funny you ask that. Cause I've had people like find my, I, I'm pretty open with my, my information. 
um, our publisher right now, something happened where the book, I don't know if it's a glitch on their end or what the deal is, but it's not circulating right now through that website. And so I've actually had a, a number of people, you know, we're missing out on some business. You know, I mean, I, the book allows me to do things like this. It's what I enjoy most. Um, never going to make a fortune off of it, but like business can be had right now because we're, we're all looking for things to read. I'm looking <laughs> for things to read. Right. You know, so, you know, right now, um, the book is tough to get. If you, if you Google it online, you find um, used copies of it, you know, all over the place. And I think it's still, on, it's still available on Kindle on there. Somebody said that they got it, you know, an ebook um, form the other day, but I had a, I had a young coach here from, I want to say Kansas or it might've been yesterday, Michigan today that, that found my cell phone number, you know, in one of my you know, online sites somehow. And, um, the it, it, new version, it's not, it's not available right now, paperback. So I'll get back to you on that. Um, you know, to contact me, I'm a big Twitter, but I, you know, I try to keep my Twitter pretty professional. Um, I get a little, I get into my Cleveland sports teams too, Browns and Indians and stuff like every now and then you'll see me go off on a, on a tangent, um, you know, on one of those teams. Uh, I got some, it's some pretty cool people that, you know, like Mark Price is a, is a guy, you remember Mark Price? Who played oh yes. The Cavaliers. Oh yes. Uh, he was the head coach at UNC Charlotte, uh, when I was in Georgia and he recruited a couple of my players. And when I was in high school and, uh, you know, back in those days, I had an opportunity to play some pickup ball with him in the park back in the days when those guys did that. And I had a chance to reconnect with him in another capacity with, you know, myself being the head high school coach of a kid he was recruiting and him being a college coach at UNC Charlotte. And, you know, I got a chance to, you know, to spend some time with him and, and you know, connect, connect with him on a, on a personal level and build a friendship, you know, through basketball with, with him a little bit. Um, you know, he's, he's one that I really – uh, you know, that I follow closely on Twitter and he shares some good things on there along with some trainers around the country. And um, there's some good things that you can probably pick up on from basketball guys that are a lot smarter than I am who follow me on Twitter. So my Twitter is at coach K six, four, six, three. Okay. All lowercase coach K six, four, six, and 64, 63 was final score to that triway game <laughs> when we won the district championship back in it uh, at Fairless in 2007. So, um, I kind of carry that around with me because, I, like I said before, I don't think that there'll ever be a moment greater in my life that I'll share with people that I care more about than that. So um, that's where that 64-63 comes from on the Coach K. And then uh, my email is um, is coachk63 at gmail.com. Um, that's my personal email. And so anybody that wants to connect with me, um, you know, I have, you know, pieces of the book. Um, you know, parts of my portfolio. One of the things that I got, I've gotten a chance to do with, with coaches around the country, you know, through writing the book and then through my time in Georgia, um, you know, is, is just kind of be somebody that can, I want to use the word mentor because I don't, I don't ever want to say that I feel like I'm that important, but I'm somebody who has been through just about everything in the, in the coaching world. I mean, like literally have been through all of it. I mean, I've been fired. Um, and I've also coached, you know, against the number one draft pick in the NBA and, you know, and beaten that draft pick and been to a final four. And so, like, I have some perspective from both my successes and my failures that that allow me to listen to guys that are going through things. I, have a, I had a coach last night who reached out to me out of nowhere who just got fired from his job and he'd read the book. And 
what I did last night is mostly I listened. And then, you know, after I listened and that conversation stopped, you know, I gave him, you know, my two cents, you know, here's the way I would approach this. Um, you know, A, don't let that define you. Um, you know, you're not the fired coach any more than you're the greatest coach in the world. They tell you when you won 20 games, um, you know, don't let it define you. And whatever, you know, you were supposed to do tomorrow, get up a half hour earlier than you normally would have and do whatever you're supposed to do tomorrow twice as well as you would have tried to do it otherwise. Um, because that's the only way you're going to get yourself back into a situation. And so, um, you know, I, I like to do things like that. So if there's somebody out there who, who, who you know, has gone through that, um, you know, I like, I, I like to help with those things because I've been through those things. And you'll get, you know, a sincere look at that from me. Um, also, young coaches who are going through the interviewing process for the first time. I've, I've done some work with them. I've shared some of the things that I share with administrators in an interview. Um, you know, some of, some of the ways to approach that, like, you know, anything at all that anybody would ever want to connect with me on, whether it was in the book or not, um, you know, I'm super receptive to, to talking and I don't ever, you know, I charge anybody for any content, um, you know, on, on any of those websites I have. I've also got a Facebook website, um, where I promote my team, but there's some other things on there too, as well. You can go back through the years and see some of the cool things that I got to do. Um, and I was, I was privileged to do in Georgia in the past. And that Facebook business site is my book. It's, it's um, www.facebook.com backslash. And then after the backslash is the book's the short version of the book's title. It's, it's capital T H E capital B best capital L laid l a i d capital p in plans so it, it just just those letters that i said to capitalize would be capitalized in that sequence and that will take you to my business website which is um you know a place where you know i i mostly i promote my basketball teams but there's some flashback stuff and throwback stuff in there that um, may be interesting to people that want to delve back through to kind of just see where i've been sounds good so i've got a Personal question, uh, assuming, sure. assuming we go to May 1st and everything reopens, yeah. uh, do you have a youth basketball camp that you're going to offer this summer? And if so, can a nine-year-old and seven-year-old come to that from out of town? And can oh, I'd be offended if you didn't take them. Yeah, yeah, and, absolutely. And, and can their father volunteer? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> You, you hang around long. I'm gonna make you. My, I'm gonna make you my assistant varsity coach. <laughs> Better be careful. Where do you live, Ron? Oxford. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that's what about forty-five minutes. Yeah, it's it's yeah. probably about an hour. Is it an hour? Okay. Yeah. I'm. Yeah. I'm. I'm not too familiar with that drive from here. I've only been to Oxford once. I was back in college with with a teammate of mine. Had a really good time there that night. So Oxford's <laughs> a pretty good place. Yep. Uh, but yeah, absolutely. Um, we, you know, we'll go all the way down to how what grade is the seven year old in first right now or second second yeah, grader? They're they're third in first grade they're, they're right now. Okay. Yeah. I mean, we reach all the way down to our first graders. Uh, I got a little guy who will be a third grader next year, so he'll be nine. Um, you know, maybe they can best friends. Who yeah. knows? Maybe one day they'll pass to each other in a game. You never, never know, boy. The basketball world is small. 
Right. Um, it's very small. Right. Um, here I came back to this area. I connected with a college teammate of mine. Um, he's an assistant coach over at um, CHCA, um, Cincinnati Hills Christian Academy. Sure. Um, last name is Sutherland. They made the re- they made the the uh, regional this year. They won the district championship and lost to Deer Creek before they shut it down in an overtime game that they probably should have won. Hmm. And he's got two boys on that team, Billy and uh, Ben, that are tremendous basketball players and. It's been fun to rekindle my friendship with him because, you know, he's a Cincinnati guy and I'm a Northeast Ohio guy. And so we haven't seen each other much since college. And he showed up my first game here this year. And it was a lot of hugs and reunions and things like that. So you just you just never know, you know. And his his son is a ninth grader. And, you know, I've got a son who's getting ready to be a ninth grader. You just, you just never know. You know what I mean? You right. don't know. Um, it's this crazy world of basketball, who, who your teammate might eventually be. So, yeah, absolutely. Bring him out. And definitely we will um, – as of right now, our, our camp is scheduled for the first full week in June, whatever that Monday is. I want to say it might be the third um, through Thursday of that week. It's a four-day camp. And then usually after we provide those camps, we, we have free play days that anybody who attended the camp can come. And, you know, really kids that didn't attend the camp can come too because we're trying to grow a program, not trying to make – you know, a fortune off a camp. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the camp provides funds for the for the for the varsity team to travel and things, and you know, to to do things like build a locker room and you know, add program longer there. But like as far as that goes, and yeah, we we'll have a variety of things for young kids this summer. You know, assuming that the the schools open up again. Um, you know, and honestly, if they don't, one of the biggest problems that I see is losing those fundraisers. That you know, you can you know you can sell cookie dough, and none of that stuff is bad. But, like, the best way to raise funds for a basketball program is to do authentically through basketball things that, you know, enhance the experience of the community from the ground up. And one of the things I'm most concerned about is losing that camp. You know what I mean? Mostly because it's fun and my kids love it. You know what I mean? They're, they're to the age. And my, my little, my nine-year-old, he loves baseball too. But, like, you give a kid a ball and turn them loose and, you know, they're like, it's only four days yet? You know what I mean? How come we're not doing this again tomorrow? You know, it makes me wonder, why aren't we doing it again tomorrow? Why aren't we doing it again next week? So, you know, you come to the right place looking for three and a nine-year-old because my nine-year-old is in time. So things are along with that, assuming that we're allowed to get back in the gym. Okay. Well, that sounds good. I'll, I'll reach back out to you as we get closer to that. Well, thank you. Thank you for taking the time out to talk to me again today. I really appreciate this. Thank you for tuning in to the Outstanding Ohioan Show. Uh, due to some glitching at the end of our conversation, I did take out the last parts of our conversation. But I've included Coach Kramer's contact information and where to get his book in the show notes. Thank you for listening. Have a great day.